0: Hello, and welcome to Sacred Adventure Begin, an inquisitive space where we explore topics like gaining wisdom, travel, yoga, meditation, dance, art, and following our soul guided paths. I'm your host, Emily from gettingintoit.com, and together we'll focus on enjoying, sharing, and interpreting our sacred adventures and how to embody these lessons in our daily lives. Let's begin. Well, hello and welcome to another wonderful, in-depth, and delightfully long quarantine interview on the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. Today, I am interviewing Ashley Radcliffe, who will be sharing stories about her spiritual work as a death doula, so you'll have to stay tuned to find out what a death doula is, Before we begin, I do want to post a little bit of a trigger warning here. This is a long episode, and in it we are discussing various topics which most people will call difficult or potentially triggering, Um, topics including death, loss, grief, cultural practices around death and dying, suicide, sexual abuse, and assault, as well as healing practices. Remember, you're always in control of what information you take in and what you choose to leave behind or to integrate. If those topics are too close to you um, or if you feel it is too difficult for you right now, I want to empower you to have control. You can skip this episode at any time. And also, I'd like to invite anyone and everyone listening to be aware of the resources available to them if they are experiencing pain and suffering around any of these topics. Below in the show notes are links if you'd like to work with our guest today, Ashley Radcliffe, on clearing some of that. And you can also find links to online counseling and suicide prevention hotline below. Remember that Ashley and I are two people walking perhaps concurrent and intersecting roads toward our own healing, enlightenment, and our life's purpose, and we too are growing and gaining wisdom. So I invite you to hold us in compassion as we speak our truths and experiences from this place of constant learning and continual growth. Now that we've had a moment to set the tone for this episode, I'd like to talk a little bit about my interest in death and mourning. Death is one of those capital T truths that I have mentioned before. Like, I see it as such a miraculous process, and any of the capital T truths really are those big things that defy words or logic and seem to only be things that we can talk around but never really capture the the wholeness of it. Uh, like God, or spirituality, or art, or dance. And to me, it makes topics like this interesting. So since loss and grief is something we all experience, and since the term, or you could say the process of death, can be applied symbolically, I think this episode is something that everyone can kind of hear and get a little bit out of. Even You know, dreams can die, lifestyles can die, and in fact, our bodies are constantly in the process of creating new cells and replacing them, replacing the older cells. So in a sense, you aren't the person you were when you were maybe seven years old, both physically as well as emotionally and experientially. Yet, oftentimes, our attempts to hold on to things, uh, be they people or happy emotions or experiences, can be at odds with the fact that they are, and we are, living in a changing, transitioning world, that, that death and change is a truth that we all experience, um, if not every day, then with different seasons of our lives. So even now, as we are all in quarantine, some of us are already feeling the natural need to grieve the world or awareness that we once thought we lived in. And perhaps even the, like, feeling safe within human interactions now that the idea of disease has expanded us to see all the ways in which we are physically vulnerable and entangled, each of us dependent on each other for care and for our health as a whole world race of human beings in human bodies. And I'm sure that we're all tired of hearing philosophies on pandemics, so I'll stop there. Uh, In this interview, Ashley and I talk about the power that writing letters and journaling has to, to help ease grief and to help process loss, and I wanted to include in this intro a poem. I think that art can be so perfect to use to talk about big ideas like death because it opens so many ways to interpret up in us and helps us access like ways of thinking or knowing or feeling about uh, ourselves in these kind of heavy topics. I'm going to share with you here an excerpt from a poem called My God, It's Full of Stars by Tracy K. Smith that grapples with the idea of micro and macrocosmic existence as well as death and awareness. A link to the full poem can be found in the show Notes. Perhaps the great error is believing we're alone. That the others have come and gone, a momentary blip. When all along, space might be chock full of traffic. Bursting at the seams with energy we neither feel, nor see, flush against us. Living, dying, deciding, setting solid feet down on planets everywhere. Bowing to the great stars that command. Pitching stones at whatever are their moons. They live wondering if they are the only ones knowing only the wish to know and the great black distance they, we, flicker in. Maybe the dead know, their eyes widening at last, seeing the high beams of a million galaxies flick on. At twilight, hearing the engines flare, The horns, not letting up, the frenzy of being, I want to be, one notch below bedlam, like a radio without a dial, wide open, so everything floods in at once, and sealed tight, so nothing escapes, not even time, which should curl in upon itself, and loop around like smoke, so that I might be sitting now beside my father, as he raises a lit match to the bowl of his pipe, for the first time in the winter of 1959. So interesting. I love poems that deal with topics like this. And you'll notice, again, during the interview, there are going to be a few glitches of people fading in and out near microphones. This is a call. So... I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Ashley Radcliffe, Death Doula. Hello, Ashley. I am so excited to have you on the Sacred Adventure podcast. Um, Welcome. Can you start by telling us a little bit about the sacred roles you play in your life and how you came to find them?
1: Hello. Thank you for inviting me on. Um, Yay! Oh boy, that's that's a lot, actually. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, a lot of it, a lot of it is that it, it came natural. It really did. But of course, where where, where there's curiosity, there's going to be studying because you everybody wants the knowledge, you know, to learn more and more and more. So it's it's just so weird. Um, I'll start with. Um, I started studying Shamanism a long time ago. Mm -hmm. It was a calling that I had in my being. And I come later to find out that my pet paw actually comes from a full-blooded line of Cherokee people. And they just so happened to be the healers of their tribes. So the paint clan, I thought that was pretty interesting how I was unintentionally following in my ancestors' footsteps on that part. Um, oh, I just got chills. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, synchronizations and signs and symbols and all that stuff from the, the universe showing me that I was on the right path. And mm-hmm. so, but that's not where I started. The funny thing is, is I started when I was 13 years old. I would read anything and everything that pertained to any other and all spirituality. Because I wanted to learn more than what was presented to us as children, Mm-hmm. because I knew and I felt like there was more out there. I knew that the universe and Mother Nature and the earth had way more to offer me than just what was being presented to me by individuals in my life. Mm-hmm. So I would read all the books on all the, the <laughs> magic and spiritualities and religions and witches <laughs> and so yeah. forth and so on. And it just, it, 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 just, it was natural for me. Um, I didn't wake up one morning and say, okay, I'm going to do this. It just gradually, it happened. So I can't really pinpoint it. But I can pinpoint the time where death was different for me than it was for everybody else. And I was around 11 to 12 years old. And I just so happened to find uh, a a friend of mine got in a car crash. She just had a baby. And she was young. And she died. And I am standing there in the middle of all these people who are crying, and I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm sad, but I'm not overwhelmed with the grief of. Um, there was a little bit of shock there. I knew that. But people would come up to me, an eleven-year-old and a twelve-year-old, and I was giving them comfort, adults. And mm-hmm. people I never knew before, and I was giving them comfort on behalf of my friend who passed. And at that time, I knew I was different. I yeah. knew I was different from everybody else. You know? So, <laughs> so it awesome. started when I was around 11, 12 years old, but you only have so many resources when you're that age.
0: <laughs> so that's awesome. So I, I'm a little bit curious, or I kind of want to firm a couple things up. Um, I feel like we've been friends for a long time and I've been um, watching the things that you post on social media and just been really curious about what you're doing. Cause it looks like, okay, so it looks like you're leading goddess circles question mark. And then it also um, I had become very curious when I saw you doing posts about being a death doula and I was like, Oh, that's so cool. What is this about? So I guess, can you answer the question? Like, um, yeah, how are you embodying your sacred journey and like what are the different facets of that? Because I feel like it's it's a multi, as you sort of suggested when you were talking about your reading and your research, it's a multi-dimensional thing. It's like shamanism and also like connecting in circle and also doing the death doula work. Yes. Uh
1: boy, so when I decide to do something, I want to do it all out. I want to explore <laughs> all the opportunities that I can do and help people who um, have been through like traumatic things or things in general when it comes to the goddess circles. Um, So that started off with me teaching um, sacred dance um, at festivals. I've done that for a long time. Yeah. Um, How to pull energy from the universe and transfer it into healing into yourself or love or manifestation of your desires through dance and through hand movements and energy work. So it was presented to me that I should teach a class. So I started teaching a class, um, a physical public class, because
2: mm-hmm. I was doing
1: it way before that. <laughs> um, two, it'll be two years in August this year that I started doing it publicly. And I would hold a monthly class where I would teach people to dance or flow. I don't really like to call it dance because dancing has sort of a technical term to it. Sure, but-
0: like sacred movement.
1: Yes, um, flow with the energy of the universe to help heal themselves, and mm, I love it. Others. Now, I wanted to take it a step further, and I wanted to be able to help women and men um, deal with traumatic things that's happened to their lives, or things that they wanted to suppress, um, not wanted to suppress. I will take that back, but unintentionally <laughs> yeah. suppressing themselves from childhood trauma or relationship trauma, or just um, things that they may not even realize that they have within themselves. I wanted to be able to guide them and help them work through what I call shadow work and face the things that we don't choose or want to face, but eventually we have to face.
2: Mm -hmm. It's so important.
1: Yes. And especially um, especially women. Um, I mean, men have it too, but Women who have been sexually abused. Um, my, me personally, you know, I was sexually abused twice as a child, and I was also physically abused as a child. Mm-hmm. And I know me personally, it was very hard for me all the way through my teenage years and my twenties, um, dealing with a lot of things that came up because of that trauma. And I wanted to be, a, I want to be able to guide women and help women who have been sexually abused and traumatized, and they take a lot of stuff that that is dealt to them through their lives, and they push it down because of what happened to them earlier on, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I help guide women with the the shadow work. And on top of that, I was like, well, let's take it a step further. And I joined this group called Tree Sisters. Mm-hmm. Tree Sisters is an organization that helps with the reforestation of the world. <laughs> I didn't know you were involved in that, too. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I run a grove here in Kentucky. We have about 132 women, and that's where the goddess meetings and the sistering, the circling come in. We'll meet up. We'll have picnics. We'll talk about ourselves and how we're doing, our children, our family, and, and we'll also help the environment. Um, I had big plans for this year, but you know, Hey, (laughs) 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 I feel that. (laughs) Um, And so I I took up tree sisters and, um, the death doula with me has been a part of me. That is just something that naturally came. Um, I never did really put a label on it because I grouped it in with my shadow work and my shamanism that I Mm -hmm. helped with, with people. Um, I also am certified um, Cognitive Behavioral Therapist, Irrational Behavioral Therapist, and an Art Therapist. (laughs) Wow. I went all the way. I'm telling you, I wanted to be able to help people on all levels. I didn't want to hold anything back. Um, My poor little brain, but you know what? It is so (laughs) worth it. Um, I do intuitive readings. I do tarot readings. I do cleansings and blessings and you name it. I could do <laughs> yeah. because um, I want, like I said, I want to be able to have somebody come to me and be comfortable telling me whatever they want, because I've been there. I've done that. I've got the t-shirt
2: <laughs> so <laughs>
1: forth
0: and so on. You, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do a hundred percent. And there's like, I'm just sitting here, um, I didn't know about the tree stuff, and I want to ask you more questions about that. And also, like, I, as as a um, a dancer, also, I feel like dancing makes it safe for people to be in their bodies or to refine their bodies, especially yes. after trauma. And I have like so much. I just want to keep talking to you about all of that. But <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could circle back to it at the end because I. Okay. I really am super curious. So I do want to ask for some more specifics on what it is to be a death doula. Like for those in the audience or for those who are listening who may be unfamiliar with the term doula, can you explain what like a, a regular doula is and then what specifically makes you a death doula?
1: Um, a doula is a person who provides companionship, non-medical professional um, either during their life or at the end of their life. Um, there's birthing midwives that would mm-hmm. be a doula. A midwife is a doula. So if you know what a midwife is, then that's what a doula is. Um, they provide the companionship and the guidance either at a birth or at a death or just throughout their life in general. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's okay. what a doula is. Um, cool. A dead doula provides the opposite what a birth doula would. So a birth doula Helps bring in life, a death doula helps guide ones to their next journey at the end of their
0: life. That is so cool. So, a doula is, I like that you said the word companion, a companion for um, people or families of people who are going through a transition, either a transition into life in the case of a baby or a transition um, from life in the case of death. Yes. Cool. So I like, how did you, I understand that you were already sort of counseling people and thinking of death a little bit differently from a spiritual perspective, but also just like naturally as a child, but how did you, how did you find out about being a death doula? (laughs) Like, are there programs for it? Is this something that you're cultivating on your own? I'm just, I'm just super curious.
1: (laughs) It's still funny because, um, With the shamanism, shamans in general have a different view on a lot of things in life. Um, So when I was going for my shamanic initiation, um, a lot of it started coming up for me. And I was like, I already do that. I already do that. And it Mm -hmm. just made it clear for me what I was already doing. I was once called a psychopomp by a friend of mine. And I'm like, (laughs) what's a psychopomp? And I looked it up and it is a person who guides souls from this world into the afterlife. Oh, I love it. And I was like... Oh, I do do that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm one of those two. <laughs> yeah, great, because I've been doing my readings forever. Mom, and when I do, I do bone readings and spiritual readings and card readings. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: I'm not, I, I would not consider myself a medium because I do not personally reach out to the spirit and call on them. I do my readings. I open myself up and then I will let the spirit come to me if they need to. Mm-hmm and then i help the living individual speak to the individual who's passed and then i will guide closure if they need it but are we really ever closed i mean yeah i know
0: no,
1: we, no. And we, we eventually just become at peace with it that's what it is we don't really let go i hate the term letting go i like the becoming at peace with I love the one who's passed. And so I was like, well, okay, there's a lot of there's a lot, a lot that's going on right now. And so I was scrolling one day, you know, I believe highly in synchronization. And I saw this group for psycho pumps. And I was like, oh, that's funny after the dream I just had. I'm not even gonna get into that. But um <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, our dreams are such powerful tools, but yeah, it, yes, it
1: was a sign and uh read on it, and then this website because I was curious I was like well I do this but I want to be professionally certified and the reason why I chose to be professionally certified as a debt doula
0: mm-hmm.
1: I want to be able to reach out to others that are not in my immediate circle
0: mm-hmm. I want
1: to be able to reach out up to others who they don't know they need my services yep but they know they need something yeah does that make sense yeah And so if I make myself available outside my immediate friends and family, I'm going to be able to help people on a level that other people can't help them on. Mm -hmm. Whether they are the person who's passing or getting ready to pass or preparing the pass or the family of the loved ones that's passed. Yes, you have your loved ones there. But for some reason, it is easier to find comfort and express yourself to a total stranger versus a close family member. I find that a lot.
0: Oh, yeah. So the, the like roles and the triggers aren't present with the stranger.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So basically what I do is I, you know, educate and empower individuals to make the decisions on their own in those life care I help the um, family by providing um, grief counseling mm-hmm. consultation. I can be with them from the very beginning to the very end. Um, I mean, there's a lot that really goes into it.
0: <laughs> yeah, tell me more about that. Like I, like I said, I I'm so intrigued by this. Um, so um, doulas, the death doulas are not medical. Even mm-hmm.
1: though we may work with the hospice nurses um, if the person's in hospice, um, but you know the nurses, they're the ones who provide the the medical aspect, the medications, so forth, and so on. Mm-hmm. While what I would do is I would be a helping hand to the hospice nurse or the nurses or the family by providing um, my time with sitting with uh, the the person that family members can't because, you know, you have to work, you have to work and it's really hard to be with your loved one 24 seven when you mm-hmm. have a job, Yeah, you know? Who, yeah. And so I would be the person who would come in and provide comfort for their loved one and talk to them. And, um, you know, hear their stories, uh, about their life, um, hear their regrets and their wishes they wish they have done, uh, maybe help them write letters to their loved ones or create a video log to their loved ones or a scrapbook. Um, if, if the person is available to do that, uh, mm-hmm. if the individual who is, um, Get preparing the past can't do that, then I would do that with the family if they so desire. It just, it's just really up to the family what they need. And I also provide this for animals too. Animals can't speak. Mm-hmm. They can't tell you what they want. They can't tell you what they do, but you can make them, them comfortable when they're passing.
0: Yep. Um,
1: so I would come in with the family and with the animal and hold their hands and, stroke the baby's head and just, you know, be there with them when they
0: finally do go.
1: And, um, yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah, that's so, I feel like that's so important because I think like, you know, they say that you like come into the world alone and you leave the world alone. Um, you know, nobody goes with you in that. And I think like the ability just to be present and to hold space for what's occurring there is, is, uh, like, it's not something everyone can do. So, Yeah. yeah, it's amazing that we have like gifted people who are interested in doing this type of work to reach out to in these times, but like, it's also so like powerful and beautiful.
1: And then I think the main thing that triggered me this year, and it's I don't get emotional often when it talk when I talk about death mm-hmm. the, the, the main thing that triggered me this year was the virus. what's going on now? yep um there's so many people like i'm I'm trying so hard to get emotional right now. There are so many people who are dying at home right now, yep. and even though you know I still can't even physically be there but I can hold space and I can be there for their families and for the individuals who cannot be with their loved one. And in times like this, it makes it even more difficult, um, to just, you know, see your loved one pass away and not being able to be there with them because of the restrictions we have.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: that right there, I was just like, I need to, I need to do something. I need, and I, I, I I don't have any medical professional. I can't be a nurse. I can't be a doctor. I can't be out there in the medical field helping helping those brave souls who are doing that for us. But I can be there for their family members. I can be there for their loved ones and help them uh, grieve and Mm -hmm. go through the process of their emotional um, stuff with all this. And uh, the hospice is a big one for me um, because there's a lot of um, individuals who die alone in hospice. There's a lot of individuals who die alone in nursing homes, um, and, and not even with this going on, just on a, on a regular basis. Uh-huh. Um, we don't even realize how many people don't have loved ones or family members um, that actually do um, you know, go through this journey alone. And I want to be able to help provide that comfort for them to let them know that they're not alone, that there is somebody who does care. And, and even though I haven't been with you your whole life, I will be with you till the end
2: hmm
0: No. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's, that's kind of the service that you give to the person who's passing. And then can you talk a little bit more about how you work with the families? Um, with the family, if um, it's their choice uh, when it
1: comes to working with the family. I can be there with them through the uh, whole process from beginning to end, um, you know, choosing a place of burial, being at the funeral home with them and their loved ones, how Hel- even helping them go through their loved ones, um, the after they pass away after mm-hmm. acting with them, um, depending on what the hospital provides and what they're allowed to do. I will even help them clean the body, place the body and everything after the person passes away in the hospital or at the home. Wow. Yeah. Um, so it just really depends on what their, um, spirituality and religious, uh, religion is because everybody has a different way about doing it, what the practice of the hospital is and what they allowed to do. Um, there's a lot of protocols that you have to go through, but, mm-hmm. um, I provide anything pretty much they can ask me for. The only thing I do not provi- I provide for the family is m- medical advice, mm-hmm. um, financial advice, mm-hmm. um, legal advice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I do not provide any of that. But if they're struggling and having a hard time finding a funeral home, I will go with them and I will look over funeral homes with them. And we will go and talk to funeral directors. Same thing with caskets. If they need me, I will go with them with caskets or urns because there's so many different ways you can be buried nowadays. A lot of people only realize that they they can only be buried in the ground or cremated. That's not true. There's a lot of things you you can... actually um I would say be buried (laughs) yeah this is so I
0: like I I think I like told you a little bit early on um when I was asking you about this that I have a lot of dreams where I help people cross over yes yeah and uh this is like, uh, and I have looked into, you know, coaching or grief, uh, therapy programs or consulting programs or whatever, but this is like a whole new level. This is stuff I hadn't even considered. And it's so interesting and beautiful. Like, can you, so when you went through your program, were you, did they teach you how to like clean, clean the bodies and prepare them for, um, you know, what, what's coming next? And then did, did you also like learn how Um, to talk to hospitals about that kind of thing? Like, this is so interesting, Ashley. (laughs)
1: Yeah, you learn how to talk to hospitals. But when it comes to cleaning the bodies and stuff like that, you basically will go um, with whatever nurse or hospice nurse that is doing it. And Mm -hmm. you're helping them doing it. You're you're not doing it yourself. Dude, you're you're a helping hand in the process of a lot of people don't know what happens after the person passes away in the hospital or the hospice care yeah i don't they know that clean, yeah you know, they clean everything down um you wash out um if this is too gruesome let me know <laughs> it's fine it's
0: fine <laughs> i'm gonna put a uh, a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode so people know that we'll be discussing death grief and um yeah passing so okay yeah. <laughs> um so,
1: um, what they do is they will, they take the clothes off. They wash uh the whole bodies individual. They, they clean out their mouths. They wipe down the faces. They put Vaseline mm-hmm. on the, um, eyelids to keep the eyes lo- um, closed before rigor mortis sets in. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes, depending on how the individual's face is, they'll wrap a string or a ribbon around the head to keep the jaw closed, uh-huh. so that way the rigor mortis can set in and keep the jaw closed, so that way they look like they're at peace. And then they place the hands uh, and the legs straight side by their side. Um, and this is before, they, of course, you get transferred over to the funeral home. Um, so this is what happens in hospice and the hospitals after we leave the, the rooms. Yeah, Absolutely. Oh, instead, so of interesting. Room, yeah. instead of leaving yeah instead leaving the room with the family unless they decide or desire me to i will stay behind and help the nurses as long as the hospital or a hospice nurse um you have to talk to the hospital or the hospice um care provider beforehand of course
0: uh-huh. and
1: um and i will help them with the body and then i will help with the the grieving family and then we will proceed with other things after that so that's what that is. um a lot of people don't realize that only <clears throat> Studies have found that only eighty percent of the world would prefer to actually pass at home, but only twenty percent actually get to do. Wow!
2: People
1: people have a choice to pass at home if they want to. Uh They do, Um, but depending, of course, depending on the circumstances that's going on with their body. Um, If they need extra medical care, hospice, um, hospice. Majority of the time, people on hospice actually do end up passing at home. depending on you know the type of medications they need our medical attention they, that they need and also the, the will of the family or the individual themselves. And so it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, I personally wouldn't mind passing at home. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. had the ability to. It's, it's your comfort. It's your family. It's your life. It's where you've been.
0: Yeah, well, don't we all sort of like want to just pass peacefully in our sleep? <laughs> like, uh, uh, if it was only that easy I know
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so when you my, say say that yeah. it's like 80% of people don't do that <laughs> yeah. or like I would say 100% of people like when they picture like what they want their death to be like would say like either quick and sudden or <laughs> peaceful when um, my sleep surrounded by my family <laughs>
1: um, so what we do is we help the individual who's passing get the what we call the good death that they want. Uh-huh. And then we will talk to them and their family and find out what a good death would look to them. What their desired outcome would be. And of course it don't always happen like that. Death is not pretty. Death is not something to be you can be that is beautiful. It moves to your next transition. Because it does move you to the next transition and journey. But you also have to be a realist and realize that it it can't be beautiful. Sometimes it's not beautiful. It can be very messy. Yeah, you don't have control. So I help provide and knock off the scary aspects as much as I can for the family and the individual that's passing.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. So... Um, let's say that you were working with a family and you were, um, and their, their loved one passed and they wanted you to stay around and help them grieve. Like aside from doing the funeral home visits and, and all the like logistical stuff and just being present for that, what are their sort of techniques, rites, rituals, that sort of thing? What, um, what's sort of in your wheelhouse to provide afterward?
1: Well, um, we could, what I would want to do when they were ready, because you can't just jump into anything right off the bat. Um, Mm -hmm. I would definitely help them if they needed me to go through the um, individual's belongings. Um, And then, you know, because that alone is an emotional process. Oh, yeah. Even if they're not even ready, like they could call me six months later and I would show up and help them go through that. Mm -hmm. Because once I feel like, you know, once I'm a part of them, I'm a part of them. Oh, yeah. I may not be around 24-7 after the individual passes away, but if they need me, they can call me. Uh Uh-huh. And I would let them know that in the beginning. And I would help them go through the belongings. I can help them create legacy projects. Um, The scrapbooks is a big one. A lot of people love to do scrapbooks of the the individual's life. Mm -hmm. Um, the store, you know, storytellings, let them, let them just be and let them speak. I would just be there for them and let them tell me what they want to tell me about, Mm -hmm. you know, their loved one or how they're feeling grief counseling. I have, I have life coach training. So that, that actually helps a lot with the aftercare of the family and, I lost my train of thought,
0: but <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, you are totally, you're totally on point here.
2: <laughs> um,
0: I, I understand okay. when you're talking about something how that happens. So we were just talking about the types of like rituals or the things that you would do with a family to help um, them grieve. Okay.
1: Um, um I, a big thing, um, that I also, depending on the situation, um, letters. Oh, I love to have people write letters or journals. and oh, and I don't yes. mean just. Read. Yeah, random letters, but um, letters to the loved one that's passed, things that maybe they didn't get to say to them or questions that they had or thanks and gratitude that they had throughout their life that they didn't get to express. And even if they did express it to the individual when they were getting ready to pass, mm-hmm. it, it's still there. All of us, all of us has questions. Mm-hmm. All of us have questions. And no matter if it's a sudden passing, if it's a traumatic passing, if it's a not planned passing, but a passing that has been planned out, to the very T, to the very end, we always are always left with questions. So, and that right there is at, the, um, hmm, it's not the main reason for the hurting grief. Um, uh-huh. Kind of hard to explain that. But a grief that we can hang on to years after the person passes. Mm-hmm. Um, grief don't go away. It will never yeah. go away. So, but... If, say, okay, I'm going to hit something really hard here. Do it. If a person kills themselves, Mm -hmm. a person takes their life, we are stuck with the question of why. Why would you do that to me? Why would you do that to your loved ones, your children? Why did you do that in general? Mm -hmm. That right there is it's one of the hardest things I've personally been through it. So I would provide literally counseling for that individual, not only grief, but regular counseling for that individual to help them understand, which we won't understand why the individual do it, but to help them understand why they are asking the question, why, yeah. what business that they have left over for the individual. As I'm trying, I'm trying to explain it here. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, I, yeah, keep you're going. Not sorry. <laughs> why, you're not asking why on their behalf. You're asking why on your behalf. Yeah. What did I do wrong to make you want to do that? When in doubt, it does not have anything to do with the individual who's still living.
0: Mm-hmm. So you so help I, them process that like complex feeling. Yes,
1: yes, I help them process that. And it does not get done in an hour session. <laughs>
0: yeah. it, don't it
1: takes a period of time and so I am there when that happens and a lot of people are resistant to it a lot of people don't even realize they're doing it mm-hmm. a lot of people are like the flowing river and just open up with gushing waters every individual is part it is is different um, some individuals are like no nope, I'm not doing that and then six months later I can't handle it no more I need to talk to you do you mm-hmm.
2: get
1: one of them?
0: Yeah, yep. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you know, I, it happens with sudden deaths too. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Um. I think that a lot of people are familiar with like the seven stages of grief. Yes. But I feel like those are so like I don't want to say limited. But they like don't encompass everything that it's about and they how could they because everything is so individualized every person reacts differently yep. Yep. yeah i was
1: and, gonna say everybody grieves on a different level
0: yep. and
1: you know it's like oh this person passed away and somebody could say my condolences i understand and they might understand the sad respect mm-hmm. of the individual passing or the sadness of losing a loved one But they can't really truly understand the feeling that that individual is going through because every individual goes through something different when it comes to grief
0: Mm -hmm. or trauma. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And each loss has a different kind of grief, I feel like. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. I I, mean, some people go into shock. shock, some people come into shock and they won't grieve for several years. Wow. Um, I know what my grandma, I didn't cry for the first six months. I could not understand. And she came and she visited me in a dream and it was all over. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was at peace after that because I knew she was.
0: So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I love those little diagrams uh, about grief where it's like the, the grief doesn't uh, change its size. It doesn't shrink. It doesn't get smaller. It doesn't go away. It's just that the, like, the, the container of the grief that is you expands to house it and still other things.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's why I said we don't let go. We just gradually come become at peace with that individual not
0: being there anymore. It's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's so interesting. I, um, so I also think that not just with death, but that like grief and loss can occur like about things. Um, and we were talking earlier about how like you didn't realize I had moved to Boston (laughs) (laughs) until I edited my Facebook profile. (laughs) But, uh, when I got up here, I, um, I was unpacking stuff and I knew when I got here that I hadn't practiced like the grief of leaving like my home and my family and all my friends and my business. I like, I basically left a whole fully formed life that I really enjoyed in Kentucky (laughs) moved up here and I was unpacking, um, Tupperware and I found Tupperware that was my mom's and I might, I might break down a little bit here, but I, uh, I realized I was not going to go over her house for Sunday dinner and then bring leftovers home again. And I needed to grieve that loss. And so I, I'm really lucky. I'm part of um, women to women, which is like a a, a supportive circle where we don't try and change each other or each other's experiences, but we help us access what we need. And, um, and I took that there and I just howled, like, in a group and cried and let it out and expressed it. I mean, it's still a um, very intense feeling for me. Um, but, like, I, I feel like grief and loss is is very connected to, um, like, death specifically because you could see it as, like, dying to one life and coming into another life. But when we put ritual around it, it really helps to, like, release that and so I'm curious if you also do like group work in terms of grief or yeah if if you could talk a little bit about that
1: yeah I am then it's funny because I hold um hmm there during the the process of me working with the family, we have what we call a vigil. We can hold a vigil as the, as the family so desires either around the loved one in the hospital or hospice or just for the family in 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 general mm-hmm. um, and vigils and circle group um grief can it can it can go of many ways you can it could be um you and a couple of friends who have. Lost something sacred, not necessarily a person or a thing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but for instance, getting their, you know, getting, uh, I'm going to taboo again here. Uh, yeah. It's not really <laughs> taboo, but it is a very touchy subject. Um, you know, they've gotten raped or sexually molested. That alone, when you come together in a group, is also grief counseling because yep. you, lost, you lost and had something taken from you. Precious. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, that is a sacred thing with us as women. And when it is n- not given freely, but taken from us, that alone causes so much trauma and grief. And so, yes, I will and can and could and do host group circles of women who they can come it's a comfort space and speak about that. Um, I can ho- um, host grief uh, circles of um, people who past like with the situation that's going on now mm-hmm. um unfortunately we can't do it at the moment but not together rest- <laughs> online could be a big one zoom is a fantastic for that but yeah. um or skype or whatever um but we come together and have a grief counseling and it doesn't necessarily have to be of loved ones that pass it'd just be a grief counseling of the aspect of being stuck indoors for so long because oh. that is that's a grieving thing, too, because a lot of individuals right now are learning things about themselves they didn't know, or they're struggling, and they're fighting with themselves, or they're letting things go, or they're discovering something new. I mean, this is a trying time, but it is also a very transformative time. But at the same time, there are individuals out there who need the extra support, too. And I really wish I could like host a group right now. I wish I could physically. Yeah. <laughs> There's a difference between doing it physically and online, but as long as somebody knows that there's somebody out there who's willing to hold that time, that space for them, Mm -hmm. that helps tremendously. And all my friends know, and all my families know that if they need somebody to talk to, they could talk to me and everything that I talk about is definitely, it's confidential. It doesn't leave our immediate conversations. Same thing with group um, chats or group consultations or I call it a uh, bitch vent. Um, <laughs> yes, bitch and vent because we may come together for one purpose, but all this other stuff may spill out as well. Mm-hmm. So I love to hold bitch and vent circles, in our groups or tea days, picnic days. You know, and the funny thing is, is you talk about woman to woman, the tree sisters is that way for women. Um, female yes. leadership and sistering that we call it sistering. Yep, um, for the women. So, um, but we're not just women-based either. Men, um, the basis is women, but men can join too. I got a, I got a couple of guys in my group and I got, I got all different walks of life in my three sisters group. But um, when it comes to my individual group sessions, though, all is welcome. And it's not just individualized to women because everybody, even animals, everybody has grief. Yep. Animals have grief. I don't think people even understand know that they have grief.
0: Oh, they definitely have grief.
1: Yeah, they have yeah. grief too. Um, and even so say I would even go as far as offering I don't know how I would do that, but grief counseling for the animal of the animal who passed away. Um I've had babies um I've had fur babies who had their best friend and their best friend passed away and I've seen my cats go in depression.
2: Mm-hmm. I've seen
1: them move and I've been there for them just like they're there for us. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess that's another thing we want to bring awareness to is that animals do have emotions like we do. Um, whether or not we see them as dominant as we do in humans, they do have that as well. So, but yes, yeah. I...
0: I do and will do and offer all group sessions. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I think I think ritual just, it gives us the permission that maybe some of us need to do the processing that is subconscious but needing to come through. And like bringing that grief into awareness so that it can be experienced in, in all its fullness uh, is so important. That's what I like about the
1: writing aspect. It's a big one for me. I tell all my clients, I tell everybody writing is a big one because that alone is a ritual in itself. Yes, you can speak the grief. Yes, you can speak the trauma. You can talk about it and you are getting it out there. But when you write, you are physically putting it down on paper. So you can look at it. Yeah. you, You are physically having to stop And unfortunately relive it, but reliving it brings it to the surface. So that way you can release it. And writing it down is also a physical way of releasing the grief and the trauma. And sometimes I'll even have them go as far as depending on what the situation is um, with the trauma aspect is either burn the letter or bury the letter because you are burying that which no longer serves you anymore when it comes to your trauma. Mhm. When it comes to grief, if it's a grief letter to a loved one, I could say you can hang it. You can hang on to it. Um if it's an angry letter because there is angry grief, oh boy, there is angry grief. <laughs> you can, yeah. you can burn the angry letter and release it and I'm telling you the weight that is lifted off the shoulders when that happens is is ridiculous. You can rip it up, you can flush it down the toilet. I mean, there's so many things you can do. Uh, you can keep it as a reminder. Um, some trauma people like to keep it as a reminder so that way they can look back on it in a couple of years and be like, wow, this is where I was and this is where I am now. Um, it's like journaling, but instead of keeping the journals, you're, you're just you're, you're releasing the letter and you're releasing the energy that you're putting into whatever letter you write. I tell people, I was like, look, if you're writing this and you need to cry, cry. If you need to scream, you pause and you scream. If you need to stomp your feet and throw a rock and cuss the paper, then you do it because you are physically releasing all that no longer serves you anymore. And those actions and emotions.
0: Mm. I love it. I love it. I actually, um, had this and I'm going to tell you about it because you contacted me a little while ago to ask about India and I was living in, I don't, I don't want to say southern India, but a coastal village. And um, one day there was like a bunch of, I mean, there's always honking of horns in India because it's how they say, hey, I'm here. They don't honk because they're angry. They just drive down the street like beep, 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 beep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there was like a lot of honking. And then there were all these people like jumping in the back of this truck. And there was somebody laying down. And I, I was standing near someone and I was like, what's going on? And they were like, oh, that woman died. Mm, they were celebrating her yeah but um and I didn't know like it it took me a while to like piece together some of the traditions that were going on in terms of death in India because they're they're so interesting to me but because the climate is so hot there um they take as soon as someone dies like I don't even think they wait an hour they they go and they have them cremated and so it can be sort of like I think shocking for families because like one minute you have somebody in your life and then the next minute you maybe get a text where they're like, they're, they're gone and you're not going to get to visit the body, right? It's going straight to the crematorium. Yeah. And that, that's what I was witnessing was the, the um, remains of the person being driven to the uh, grounds where they burn them, which are also incredible and interesting. And someday I hope that you get to go to India and, and see that and witness that. But um, I didn't know this and I thought this was cool. They mix afterward um, in this village and I'm sure there's different traditions, other places, but they mix the ashes of their loved one with um, mud from a local river or water source. And then they take it back to the house and have it at their altar um, with a picture of that person. And they, you know, they talk to them, they process them, they celebrate their lives. And then a year later they throw a death party that's like, amazing. Yeah. And I was actually invited to one of these and I was like, oh, whose birthday? And they were like, no, 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 no birth. <laughs> and it's yeah, yeah. It's,
1: it's funny because the traditions of um in the death process in every country is it's is it's shocking. It's um amazing. It can be okay. very spiritual and not spiritual. Um, I really think we have it made here in America with the options that we have provided to us and uh-huh. what we can and can't do when it comes to passing. Um, I, I love the spiritual aspect of India. I just, I just love it so much. Um, you know, in New Orleans, they have their, their parades. Um, oh, yeah. The second and, line. Yeah. And yeah. then, and, um, what was it? Gypsy culture. They don't wear r- white. They wear red for the passing of oh. a loved one yeah um well back in the day anyway yeah <laughs> so I I um I'm a black wearer I wear black all the time but in <laughs> somebody's passes, I would wear red uh, red to me is just the passion and the love that we hold for the individual white uh-huh. is the the um, the peering the the. white represents pure purity but it also represents the freedom of the spirit to me
0: Mm. Um,
1: when I see a white butterfly after I hear of somebody's passing that right there lets me know that their soul's at peace um and it never happens happens all sometimes I don't see the white butterfly sometimes I'll see a yellow or black and then I'll I'll research that a little bit but (laughs) yeah the white definitely does represent the ease of the soul passing and so for me being able to provide that information to somebody who's contacted me about their loved one um, makes me happy that I could provide that information for them because that's a big question too are they at peace and you know and it's just a little sign for me everybody has their own little signs but here's a tip that I give people If you have a loved one that's passed and you're wanting to ask if they are at peace or not, pay attention to your synchronizations, whether you believe them or not pay attention because if you ask that question and either a couple hours later, a couple days later, you see that person's favorite animal or you hear their favorite song or something just randomly pops up and you see that and you think of them, that is them answering you. Yes, I'm at peace
2: oh
0: love yeah. it yeah and being able to receive your own messages is so empowering and and beautiful and yeah
1: yeah so and not every religion's gonna believe that but all you can do is just put it out there and hope that they can find their own way of getting the answer to that question because that right there is one of the most popular questions that people ask when somebody passes away. Mm -hmm. Whether it was traumatic or not,
0: yeah. How how do I know that they're still there?
1: Exactly. Yeah, and that's a big one because the way I see it is, is they're always going to be there. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be there. I had to tell somebody recently this. They're not going to be there in physical. You're not going to be able to see them. You won't be able to feel them. You won't. You won't be able to smell them or anything like (laughs) that. that song or that movie or that quote, that saying, that animal, that color that you see and they pop in your head, guess what? They're there. Yep. They're always going to be there and be a part of you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. In those sense. Yeah. So, uh,
0: yeah. This, this is wonderful, Ashley. So if people are looking to work with you, where can they find you? Um, I have
1: a page on Facebook. It's called Spiritual Movements. Um, It should pop right up when you type in the name. Or my email is ashleyradcliffdd at gmail.com. And they can email me there. Um, they can find me on Facebook, Ashley Radcliffe, and they can message me. I'm very easygoing and laid back, and I will respond as soon as I see the message, unless my kids drive me crazy and then I might take the. <laughs> <but>, um.
2: <laughs> the DD,
1: I'm assuming <laughs> stands for Death Doula. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. So Ashley Radcliffe DD at gmail dot com would be an um, the quickest and easiest way to get a hold of me.
0: Yes. Oh. I love this. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about um, difficult topics. I'm sure a lot of people will benefit from from hearing that there are people out there like you who are working with others on like grief and release and uh, like self awareness during the grieving process.
1: There are a lot of beautiful, wonderful people out there who provide these services that may not be certified. All you have to do is ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) If they're remotely spiritual in any form. (laughs) If they're remotely spiritual in any form and you feel like that they could, just ask. Most of us are just like, Yeah. You need (laughs) help with something, I'm here for you. I love it. And right now I'm providing my my death dela services for free because with everything that's going on with the world and financially, people are under a tremendous amount of stress. They are, they're very distraught with all this. Um, we get online every day and there's so much negative stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm providing my debt doula services or just grief counseling and stuff for free. until so all this passes over because for me, it is not about money. Mm-hmm. It's not about money. It is about me helping the individual heal and helping the individual in general. And when I help them, I help myself and so that way we are both healing together because i'm helping them and guide them and healing them and i'm providing them the comfort that they need and
0: i don't know how to explain it <laughs> any more <Yeah>. than that. <laughs> no, it's it's perfect <laughs> and and beautiful. Exactly how you said it. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you Ashley for coming on the podcast and sharing some of your beliefs and practices around death and grief and loss with our listeners. I hope that you all enjoyed this. And as part of this outro, I was thinking a little bit about how to wrap this up and about using art um, to talk about death and loss. And I was considering it and I... Wanted to put on the end of the episode this beautiful song by Sarah Martin. She's a jug band musician from Louisville. And the song is about how, like, the, the longing for love is also very strongly connected with a, a longing for death, and how that type of longing is sort of, um, how to say, woven in with each other and I thought that you as the listener might find it interesting. The song has a little bit of humor with it too to leave on a a little bit of a lighter note. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you could take the time to rate and review the show so that more folks can find it that would be greatly appreciated and thanks for listening. Have a great day.
2: consumption of the heart, I feel myself sinking so oh my heart is aching and the blues are all around my room the blues are all around